Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound this is a good one welcome everybody to the full-scale outdoor podcast i'm dale luganville welcome to this week's recap and rant before we get to the recap and rant I would like to remind everybody, we'll do a little commercial for Full Scale Outdoors. Full Scale Outdoors isn't just a podcast, it is a guide service. Uh, So right now I am in Missouri for another week guiding snow goose hunts. We do have weekday uh, available spots available, so if you want to call in sick to work or your work schedule allows you to do that. Uh, Now's time to get down here. We've got the juvies have just showed up recently. Um, so truth be told, you're not going to see a shit ton of birds, but the birds you do see have a much higher probability of decoying. So, I mean, if you want to go watch birds and not shoot as many, by all means, follow the main migration and those leading edge birds, which are getting into South Dakota right now. But we will be moving up into South Dakota the weekend of the 13th, March 13th. So, um, I know our weekends are pretty much booked, but they're... Might be a few weekday openings. South Dakota is usually pretty booked up, um, probably just because people have, you know, spring break and it's closer to the Twin Cities metro area. So, I don't know, just seems to, we get more mid-season or midweek bookings in South Dakota than we do in Arkansas or Missouri for whatever reason. So, that's going on. Also, um, back home, open water season is going to start up uh, pretty fast, faster than you think. And so, we are taking um, bookings right now for some bass fishing charters or panfish you want to get some early season pan fishing in or pike or muskies we can do that um hell we can even go trout fishing if you want to know a couple of good trout spots um, i'm leaving walleyes out on purpose a because my boat's not really set up for it b they're boring and c it's minnesota and there's no shortage of walleye guides so there you go <laughs> i have my little niche and i'm sticking to it the other thing I want to let people know um, nothing is official yet here. It's going to kind of be based on interest that I can generate, but I've received enough questions and interest over the years on foraging. So mushroom hunting and even wild green foraging. So what I'm thinking of doing this year, and 
instead of like just taking a person or two people out and, you know, I'd have to charge the same thing I charge for like a fishing charter to make it worth my while. And most people aren't going to pay that for a day of mushroom hunting. It's just not really in their mindset. So what I'm trying to think of, what I'm thinking of doing is setting up like a class outing field trip, if you will. So it'll be a, let's say maybe up to like eight people and the price will be pretty cheap per person. And then I take this group out and then we'll go find some mushrooms and hopefully some wild greens. And I can on hand show you in the field, how to identify it, you know, how to be, how to start, you know, right from the moment you park your car, where do you look, you know, how to dissect a piece of wood, what to look for, how to identify the right kind of mushroom, um, what greens are edible. Um, so it'll be all wild foods. So I'm thinking about doing that. If that's something that you think you would be interested in, uh, give me a call, uh, 612-209-5438, or just message me on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram, or you can send me an email, um, whatever, at dayluganville at fullscaleoutdoors.com. Um, you know, if that's something you'd like to be interested in, I'm going to start getting a, start making a list of names. And then when, because it is weather dependent on, you know, when these things pop up and start growing. Um, so I'll get kind of this list and then I can go down that list and I can call people if they're interested. And, you know, if I get enough demand, we can do definitely do a couple of these classes. So that's, that's something I'm toying with and playing with, exploring that idea. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Um, like I said, get a hold of me and let me know if that's something you would be interested in. Um, okay, I want to give a couple shout-outs um, to Doug Glimmerveen from the SmackDown Outdoors podcast. If you're not already following him and subscribe to him, please go check him out. Um, he has a lot of great content. He goes Facebook Live. It's cool stuff. It's, interact- it's interactive. I really enjoy it. Also, Patrick Patches Olson's from The Lone Angler. Go check his podcast out. Subscribe to that. Download it. Rate, review it. All that good stuff. I really like The Lone Angler. Uh, he's very engaging. Um, two super cool dudes. Uh, we got some things kind of in the air. Some collaborations. Um, I just think it's cool. I know I've said it before in this podcast, but I just love how we are podcasters in the same state but we're working together like we don't see each other as competition you know a high tide rises all ships and i firmly believe that and also with the as part of the waypoint outdoor collective um if you're not following their page that's another one i know i'm giving you a bunch of homework here but go check them out um you can find them wherever podcasts are found waypoint waypoint outdoor collective full scale outdoors is on there but a bunch of other great content is on there as far as outdoor podcasts if you can't get enough it's a whole nother thing to do uh you can also download the waypoint tv app and that has um a ton of great like shows and documentaries and some podcasts around there a full scale outdoors podcast on there too but really good tv shows into the blue uh, i mean there's saltwater freshwater elk hunting i mean anything you possibly think of bass fishing like it's all on there like it's you are not it's a inexhaustible source of outdoor content so download that app and uh enjoy all that stuff i think that's all i have for my business stuff so let's get on with this week's recap and rant 
as I said, I'm down here in Missouri, and we're on Mound City, and man, were there birds. Holy smoke. So this is the first time I've hunted around the, the famous Squaw Creek um, refuge, and the first day I got here, just, you know, we're at the, the guide house, and just seeing Squaw Creek get up, like, whole, and it's, you know, it's quite a few miles away from where we're staying, but you can see, like, just clouds of geese. And I think when I got here, there was like 600 and some thousand geese on it. And then by the, the weekend, there was a million. I mean, just, it was unbelievable. Since then, there's been a big migration. Most of those adults, most of the big waters kind of moved on into North Dakota or Iowa, northern northern Missouri. But, you know, those are the tough birds. They don't decoy well. We saw a ton of birds you know my clients we my streak is still alive i have not been skunked as a guide um always gotten one but i think we're shooting you know we've actually been doing pretty good getting decent shoots not crazy rain outs by any stretch of the imagination i'm not gonna lie to you um but we've been getting birds and pretty competitive with the other uh outfits and, and spreads around here we had, and again, I just keep meeting cool-ass people. I mean, I'm on a really good streak of clients. Like, I haven't had, everybody I've hunted with has been, like, super fun. There was one downfall, and that's only because, and this has nothing to do with anybody. It's just, there were, we hunted, I believe it was Saturday, and then the one guy had to leave, uh, had an emergency at home, stock ate some soap or something. <laughs> just... Uh, that was, uh, Rob, um, Rob Sellers, I believe his name is. Anyways, doesn't matter. Probably shouldn't be saying his name, but sorry, Rob. <laughs> anyway, he's a super cool dude. Just moved to Missouri. Uh, we hit it off pretty good, but he had to, he had to leave. And then we ended up seeing some birds that afternoon. And then I had these, uh, these other guys, they were some college kids and they were fun, but they, we didn't see a ton of birds. We did get to shoot. I mean, we shot some birds. I think we finished with... Oh, man, I don't remember. Is it 10? Something like that? I don't remember. And then they weren't sure if they were going to hunt Sunday morning. So they were kind of hemming and hawing. We got back to the trucks, and they're like, yeah, I think we're just going to head back. You know, you got my number. Give me a call uh, when the birds are moving through. We're like, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, I wish it did. I wish I could say with 100% accuracy, like, you need to be here tomorrow or you need to be here next thursday because the birds are going to be i mean shit if anybody can do that they're going to be super wealthy in this snow goose hunting game but i don't think that kind of crystal ball exists um so sunday morning rolls around i have one guy he is never snow goose hunted and he's just he's an adult onset hunter he's just kind of getting into it and man did we have a good morning Oh, my God, did we need guns in that field. I mean, it was, they were just doing it. The birds that were coming in were decoying with reckless abandon. Like, it was one of those, like, you could have a flock come in, and you would shoot in, shoot into them, maybe you'd drop one, or maybe you'd miss, but they would come, they would just circle around, and they would still come in, and we'd get second chances on them. I mean, it's, they just want to do it. And that's the thing with, I think, hunting in general, especially with these snow geese. You know, we get all frustrated about what spread and how many and what kind of decoys and your hide and this. And, and sure, those things are important, especially your hide, especially movement. You know, try to resist the urge to 
swivel your head around and watch those birds as they're flying around. A little tip I'll try to do, not to get too distracted of my point here, is I'll grab one of those socks that I have around my, my backboard and I'll actually cover my face with it so like just my eyes are sticking above and I'll kind of follow the flock uh, that way. So that, you know, at least that way if they see some movement, they're going to look down and hopefully all they see is, is that white decoy. But getting back to it, they are just... I mean, they were just doing it. It was so good. We shot 11, I think, which might not sound like much, but there's only two of us. And I mean, we weren't like huge wads that were coming down. And there was two times, we had two actually decent flocks that worked in tight, and both of us had gun issues. Like, I don't think my slide was, I don't know about him, but I don't think my slide was all the way forward or something because it was just click. And I'm like, what? There's a shell in there. I don't understand. And we had just shot, and I just loaded So I don't know. There is seems to always happen something like that when the most opportune moments present themselves. But uh, that was pretty good. And so he was only hunting half day. He took off. I went back the next uh, that afternoon. Hunted the afternoon, early evening, just by myself yet again, and should have had more guns yet again because they just continued to decoy really well. And then let's see, was that? Uh, no, 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 no. So yeah, I think I shot four more that night. Finished the day with fifteen. That's exactly what happened. So that was really good. So then the next morning, Monday, I don't have any clients, and I just hunt the morning by myself. <sighs> Chalk it up to another should have been here. <laughs> should have been here. Should have had clients. I mean, the birds were doing it so stinking good. The downfall is. I was low on ammo, and I'd bought a case, but I forgot to bring the case. I forgot to put it in my truck. So when I got to the field, I'm like, oh, crap. I got limited. I think basically like a box of shells left. Well, whatever. I'm hunting by myself. As I you know, said before, like I don't need to shoot 100 birds by myself. I can't eat that many. So I'm like, well, we'll see what the birds do. Um Hell, if I run out of shells, I run out of shells, I guess. I guess that'll be the end of the day. I had some errands to run anyway, so it's like, well, then I'll get an early jump on taking care of some errands. So I get out there, and right away, I'm not seeing anything for, like, I don't know, the first half hour. But then they just start doing it. I mean, they're coming from the east, and they're nice and low. I'm getting good. I'm getting good. Um, actually, no, I take that back. So the first couple flocks were coming in low. And they decoyed pretty well. And I shot a couple out of there. Then you start seeing these super high, super high flocks. But they were doing it. They'd get all balled up straight above you. I mean, so high up there. They look so tiny. And then they just start gliding and doing the big circles and working their way down. And someone would work like halfway down. You'd think, oh, my God, I'm going to get a good tornado spin here. And then they would do what snow geese do, and they would drift off. But there seemed to always be a couple that would break off and come all the way down. I had some come in so stinking close. Two of them, I just blew to shit. I mean, they're like, I didn't mean to. I mean, I try to go for headshots, but when they're that close, it's tough. If you, It's either like a clean miss or you destroy them. But uh, I destroyed a couple, like big time. And then I'm running out of shells and getting come like, oh, man. And the whole time I'm Snapchatting this. So if you're not on Snapchat, um, follow me on Snapchat. Or if you're not following, I should say if you're not following me on Snapchat, um, find me, Dale Luganville, on Snapchat. Um, 
because I'm finding it's a lot easier to kind of document these hunts in real time on Snapchat than it is to like record them and then post them later and you know whatever. So it's um, kind of using that more and more. Anyway, so I'm like I'm down to seven. I think I got seven shells. My gun's holding five. I don't have an extension on it, and um, or extended tube. And so I shoot into a flock, kill another one, or kill two, I think. And now I'm down. I don't remember. I get down to where I have two shells left. And here comes a flock. One one dumps out of it. I pull up. Boom. Shoot. Drop it. Think I'm like, okay. I guess I'm I mean, When I got down to like two, I thought it's probably going to take two. I'll need these two to get one, you know. As it would. I'm like, oh, man. I'm down to one. I'm down to one shell. And as I said, I'm like, I am not leaving this field with any shells in my shell, in my uh, my ammo box. So I waited it out, and it didn't have to wait long. It was about 15 minutes, and here comes another flock working really good. And then a good bunch breaks off of that, and they're coming in tight, and they were starting to ball up. And I'm like, oh, my God. I might actually shoot, like, multiples with one shot here, getting a little greedy. And uh, so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and uh, this one breaks off. And that, and that other flock was working pretty good too. But this one dumps out of there. I mean dumps out of there and just comes like basically straight at me on the deck. And I just, I couldn't resist. I had to shoot him. And that's just, it was a little Rossi and boom, feathers go everywhere. And I'm like, well, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. I shot, I think it was nine yeah, it was definitely nine, but it could have been so much more. I mean, it could have been so much more. And they were still working when I left them back to the truck. There were still birds out there flying around. Again, if I'd have had clients, and some of these, some of these flocks were pretty big. And if I'd have had clients, I'd have called the shot a lot sooner. But it was just me, so I was just kind of. They were decoying so well. I was just having fun. I was just letting them come, see how close they would come in. You know, I wasn't trying to get big numbers on the ground. I was just hunting for fun. I was just having a good time. But if I had clients out there and I'd have been calling shots a lot earlier when I had a whole flock of, uh, on top of us, well in range, I mean, you're, I don't know. It's hard to say because it always depends on who you have for shooters. But uh, you're probably looking at a 30 to 50 bird day for sure, being conservative. I mean, that was, and, and it wouldn't have left early. We would have just stayed out there. And I, I know that would have gone on for most of the day, so... Who knows how many birds he would have put down that day. God, those days are just a dream of. Um, but that morning I was talking to, or the morning before, I'm like, well, this is your first snow goose hunt? Well, you're ruined. <laughs> I mean, I was like trying to explain to him, like, snow geese don't, more times than not, they don't decoy this good. You're getting quite the show. Um, and he, he, he seemed to have grasped that concept because when he was, uh, he went hawker hunting last fall, and they didn't they didn't see anything. Or they didn't see much. I don't think they shot anything, but that was uh that was quite the endeavor. Uh last night was fairly no, I didn't even hunt last night. That's right. Oh, I made that's what I did. So I I decided to take the afternoon off and make and get a meal started for for the guys back at the guide house. So I did some braised goose legs and then I I didn't have that many goose legs to feed this uh, many people, so I actually threw a couple breasts in there. And I didn't know if that was going to work out. I'd never done it. Well, two things. One, I didn't know if that was going to work out. 
and I was doing it on a stovetop, not the oven, because they apparently some mice had made a nest in the oven. If you turn the oven on, the whole house smells like cat pee. Now, they assured me that that wouldn't change. It's not in the oven, but I didn't believe them, and I am definitely not going to risk marinating some good snow goose meat in a uh, in, in mouse piss. <laughs> so that wasn't going to happen. Also, part of the good thing about making this is it cooks all day and the house smells amazing. When you come in, you're like, oh, it smells so good in here. And then you're hungry, it makes your mouth water. The last thing you want to do is come in and go, oh, my God, it smells like mouse piss in here. <laughs> so I opted to try it on the stove. And that was a challenge because I kind of had to I had to monitor it a lot. It wasn't a set it and forget it thing like you can do with the oven. I was like, sometimes the burner was too low, sometimes it was too warm, and like it's trying to find that little sweet spot. And uh, I can't say that I ever really found it, but it took a good four hours plus to finally start breaking that meat down. The leg meat, actually, even with the tendons and everything, broke down a lot faster than the breast meat. And I had cubed the breast meat up, or I cut it in strips, just like I would for tacos, but I cut them a little thicker in hopes that it would the meat would break down faster. It seemed to work. So when it was done, I was able to pull string apart the meat, and then uh, I threw some carrots and potatoes in there, took all the juices, made a good gravy for it, and it was awesome, as it usually is. And you could see, like, the surprise on their face. Again, I just I love making this meal for people that – and these people all – you know, th- these guys are all – they're all fans of eating wild game of snow goose anyways. They're not the typical, like, oh, they're sky carp and all that other bullshit. But they'd never had it made like this, and they were just blown away. They are you know, couldn't – they're like, but if you fed this to somebody and they didn't know it was goose or wild game, they'd have no idea. I'm like, yeah, exact, that's exactly it. So anybody that tells you that geese aren't good to eat, they literally don't know what they're talking about. And you don't necessarily have to be Gordon Ramsay to make them taste good. You just got to not screw it up. Bottom line, I mean, don't. Generally, I say don't overcook it, but obviously in this scenario, you're it's way past overcooked to to breakdown. But it's not overcooked and dry because it's covered in you know stock and fat, so it's not drying out. It's just getting really tender. Anyways, so that was that meal was awesome. There was like no leftovers. I think I have, well, I have a ton of gravy, but as far as actual food, I don't think there's much of that left at all. So I might do snow goose tacos tonight. I might blow their mind with that one. Um, but then that brings us this morning. So last night at the, I'm watching, you know, just what's flying around at the guide house and it's, you know, man, I step outside and it's a steady stream of geese. I'm flying like super high as far as I can see. Like wave after wave after wave of snow geese. And I'm looking with the binoculars to the east, to the west. And it's like everywhere I look, there's high strings of geese migrating north. It's like, holy crap. I'm hoping that some birds pushing in. I hear that uh, Arkansas is emptying out pretty good. We had a good northwest wind this morning. Um, but really, didn't see much. Um, did get to shoot, though. Oh, man. Stupid gun issues. I had this. Well, I was Facebook Live this morning. <laughs> Some of you might have been a part of that. And as I was talking, a flock actually came in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to keep recording Facebook Live and then shoot one-handed and see what happens. So I had a pair break off for this flock, and they came in. They were definitely killable, and but I missed. I mean, had I not been doing that, I probably would have killed at least one of those two. 
Uh, but I didn't. But then I had this flock come in, and they were so low, and I thought for sure they were specs because specs will, you know, that's usually what they do. And they were coming from the east, so they were backlit by the morning sun, and all I had was silhouettes. I couldn't see what kind of geese they were. But at one point in time, they turned a little bit. I'm like, did I just see a white wing? And I couldn't be sure. And I had to wait until they were literally right on top of me that I knew that they were snow geese, and they were all snow geese. And they were so close. So I pulled up, boom, one shot, drop, second shot, drop, third, no third. Gun jams up. Just didn't not really jam, but it didn't the whole the shell didn't eject all the way. It was getting caught right at the right at the very end of the empty shell. But then the live one comes to feed back in and it shoves it back in. So I mean, yeah, technically a jam, but you know, why couldn't that happen <laughs> on a pair or a single? Like these are so close. I know I would have got a third, and there's a high probability I would have got four. And I also don't think it's a stretch to say I would have went five for five. They were that close, and fighting that wind, I could have just crushed them. But it didn't happen. I did get two. I'm always happy to get some, better than none. Um, but then I did have another pair come in that uh, I just would No, not a pair, a single. And I whiffed on those. All five shots that worked perfectly uh, for all the good it did me. And that's pretty much all I saw. I had another big group kind of fly low over the field, but to the south of me, and they didn't even give the decoys um, a look. And, I mean, as I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm still on the field. That's a record this, recording in my truck, my mobile studio. And uh just recently saw a pretty good flock fly over the decoys. So who knows? If I'd have been out there and had the e-collar going and the rotaries, I might have pulled some down. Never know. Well, it's kind of my theory. Like, you get you get six hours of good snow goose hunting so if you don't see him in the morning you'll probably see him in the afternoon evening you know it's like if you see him good in the morning the evening's usually not as good if you're seeing him all the way up to like noon you know if it's your normal early morning you see him for a couple hours and then nothing all day then your afternoon is probably also going to be good this is just my theory could be completely wrong but it's just what i've been noticing so i kind of in my mind i'm like well i didn't see much this morning so Hopefully my good six hours will come in this afternoon. It's very possible they could start moving and migrating during the day because right now we have kind of a northwest wind, but it's switching to more west. And then as evening wears on, right about sundown, it's actually switching to the south. So we could see uh, a little a little push, a little migration this evening. So we'll see if that happens or not. I don't know. It's possible. That is your recap. I have no idea what is going on back home, Minnesota, as far as fishing is concerned. I know ice fishing is still going. Um, people are starting to talk about turkey hunting. People are start talking about sturgeon fishing on the Rainy River. That's going to be coming up here before you know it. Um, but one of the ones I'm going to get into on my rants. Uh, is it a rant? That's kind of a rant. So a while back on the old face of book, the... Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure there was, there's been, it's not just Facebook. There's been uh, newspaper articles and a couple other things. But Minnesota is proposing on some experimental lakes to do a bluegill slot to increase the size structure of bluegills. Straight out of the gate, I'm all for it. 100%, I'm all for it. And I wouldn't even, I would skip, in my opinion, I would skip the whole, um, experimental lake stage and just go statewide you know to do something like i would well you could say 10 but a 10 inch bluegill is like pff, that's a toad 
I would go at least nine and a half. I would go nine and a half at least with, you know, like one over nine and a half. You know, kind of like, you know, any other game fish. There's like, here's your slot limit with one over in case you catch a trophy fish and you want to get it mounted. So you do that. And I think it wouldn't take long for you to start getting some really good size gills and almost everybody water. I don't really, because they also talked about lowering the limits. And I don't really think you should lower the overall bag limits because some of these lakes that have a ton of little fish, I mean, you need to take those out, you know. So I would kind of keep the limit where it's at, but just protect those bigger fish. And that should do it. I mean, that should beef up those bluegill numbers, man. I would, or the size structure. I am absolutely all for it. And of course, like anything, nobody's ever happy. Some people piss and moan and they, you know, well, any they think the DNR, everything they do screws everything up. And there's this weird mentality about the DNR that they're somehow against hunters and anglers. Does that even make sense? Why? They'd be out of a job. <laughs> like, they're not the enemy. The, that mentality, I've never been able to wrap my mind around that one. That one's just, that one's just dumb. Are there some horror stories out there about individual conservation officers being dicks? Yeah, I actually got one. And at some point in time, I'm going to share that with all y'all. And the people who know, know. But there's definitely a lesson there. And I got a big beef with a particular conservation officer. So I'll, I'll, I'll say this a little teaser for a future rant that might even be a whole episode in and of itself i don't know we'll have to wait and see but anyways the bluegill limit i think absolutely they should um protect the big trophies what i'll get more into as far as um regulations is concerned for those that don't think there should that should be regulated here's my challenge to you we can do this without making laws. We can do this without making it regulations and having to write tickets for when people are have a fish that's too big or whatever. But that requires the individual angler or pan fisherman as a whole to change their mindset. Now, this is possible. It happened with bass fishermen back in the 80s. Nobody, nobody made rules that you had to catch and release bass back in the day. The bass anglers took it upon themselves to start releasing big fish, to start releasing most of the fish. Musky anglers did the same thing. It was musky anglers that were going to the state wanting bigger and bigger limits or, uh, you know, slot to increase the size. And it's worked. It has absolutely, it has worked. You can voluntarily do that. You know, the, the DNR does not need to get involved. If we as a whole can agree to just do the gentleman thing or the, or the lady thing and just let the big ones go. I mean, it's the point for me now. I mean, it's not like I'm not ideological about it. Like I don't shame people if they keep a, a mess of, of big bluegills or big crappies or, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, obviously you're within your legal right to do so. But for me personally, I love to go out and I like to catch those giants and they're fewer and further between. And, man, I hate cleaning those things. Like, in the Minnesota Made Tournament, you go out and you hope for a great bag, but 
the bad, like I actually kind of feel a little bit guilty at the end of the day when I have to clean those really big fish. It's like, ooh, man, because if it was just me fishing, I would have let them go. If I'm out there just fun fishing, there's no way I keep those fish. And you don't really need to. I mean, hey, you want a good meal? Keep, you know, 8-inch bluegill is a good eating size bluegill. There's nothing wrong with an 8-inch bluegill at all. There's nothing wrong with an 11-inch crappie for the table. 11-inch crappie is probably, in my opinion, is like the perfect size to eat. But those 13s, those 14s, not even argue the 12s, man, let them things go. They're only going to get bigger. It's only going to help. You, I don't know of anybody that doesn't like to catch big fish, no matter what it is. Like, who doesn't like to catch big fish? But a lot of people go out, and they keep everything they catch, and then they bitch that there aren't any big ones left. Well, who's to blame for that? Do you? There's only one person. To, well, I mean, there's multiple people to blame for it, but you as the person that's complaining about it, you're the problem. Like, you can fix it yourself. You just have to take it upon yourself. And even if you're like, well, I'm just one person. How much can I do? It's changing that thinking on a group level. And it's not like everybody's going to wake up one day and be on the same page. But if you start doing it, other people start doing it, and then that's kind of how this idea kind of takes off. I would much rather see anglers as a group take it upon themselves to do selective harvest than the state get involved. I mean, whatever the harvest is, I generally don't keep that much fish, especially when I'm fun fishing for myself or I'm pre-fishing for a tournament. I don't keep any fish. But, I mean, I'll keep fish from time to time if I get a hankering for a meal. But you don't have to keep your full limit either. You know, how many? How much are you going to eat that night? And that's not to say that it's wrong to put some fish in the freezer. However, keep in mind, there is only, your possession limit is your possession limit. It's not like birds hunting. You don't get three-day possession limit. You have one-day possession limit. So if you have a limit of bluegills in your freezer and you go out and you catch some more that day, if you put one of those on the ice, technically you are over limit. I'm just saying. I'm not I'm not trying to jump to anybody's throat. I'm just keeping it real. So keep that in mind. Uh, I'd like people to voluntarily start doing some CNR because they're going to do these experimental lakes, which is great. We'll see how those fare, see if the size structure gets bigger, which I'm pretty certain they will. But in the meantime, if you're out fishing on one of these lakes that's not in that list, Try it yourself. Just talk to your buddies, talk to fellow fishermen, try it yourself and see what you guys can do without having it being regulated. You know, I think I think there's something to be said for that. You know, it, I don't think I'm understating it to say that the country and the and the world, um, non anglers, they're looking at us, you know, and if we can portray and I, I I'm hesitant to go down this line of thought because this is where it kind of starts turning into it uh ideology or religion but we have we do have to put on somewhat of a good face for the general public now that only goes so far because if they're already anti fishing or hunting you're not winning them over no matter what you do so as far as they're concerned and i've said this before i don't give them an inch they can fuck off like i don't care like it's i don't care what their opinion is because it doesn't matter what my opinion is towards them they are they are not interested in moderating their views, not even a little bit. 
But it's people that are on the fence that I'm worried about. It's people that their dad fish. They never fish, but maybe their dad fish or their grandpa fish or their uncle fish or they got a brother who fishes, you know, but they don't personally do it. They're the ones that can kind of swing that vote. And if, if something comes up in the legislature that, you know, moved to ban hunting or to ban fishing or, to, you know, whatever, they're the ones that we need to keep as allies politically. So just keep that in mind. Oh, and just another quick rant. I've, I've, I won't go on a super rant because I've already ranted about this, but we're at the end of the ice fishing season. People had to take their ice fishing houses off at the end of February back in Minnesota. People are posting on Facebook, and thankfully they're, they're, they're doing this, but they're picking up other people's trash. Uh, first of all, thank you guys that are taking it upon yourselves to do that, hauling out full sleds of garbage left on the lake. But first and foremost, pick up your shit, people. It's really not that fucking hard. You brought it out there with you. Even if you drug it out on a sled, you can drag it back. If you went out there with a case of bush lattes and you consumed them all, all you have is empty cans left. Put them right back in the case. It weighs less. You drank them all. Take them off. There's people that are putting like one pound propane cylinders and leaving them out there. Or even worse, just shoving them down the hole. Like that. I just don't understand that mentality. It's like, do you like to go to the lake? And see trash when you go there? Probably not. You're like, oh, this place is a shithole. But then you go out there and you leave it. I guess bury it in the snow, out of sight, out of mind, whatever. But it's it's just dumb, all right? Can we, as a whole, can we stop doing that? That'd be awesome. I appreciate it. End of that rant. I've already done that a million times. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning into the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I appreciate it. If you would, if you haven't already, um, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, if you could leave me a five-star rating, leave me a review. I haven't seen a fresh review on there in a while. Um, Those actually go a long way, and that activity taps into that algorithm. So people that are listening to other outdoors podcasts, it'll suggest it. You know, as something they might also enjoy. So it's a great way to to promote and get and get the name out there. I would super appreciate that. Oh, I keep forgetting. So as as a member of Waypoint Outdoor Collective, we hooked up with the Megaphone, and that's like the site that hosts all of our podcasts. And with that, we've done there's like some ad sharing. So you sign up for this ad sharing. They sell the spots. They they sell the advertisers, and then I get a cut of that advertising revenue. <laughs> I don't have a say into what into who they reach out for, who reaches out for them for advertising. And apparently we've had uh, a full scale outdoors podcast has been proudly sponsored by KY jelly, (laughs) which personally I think is hilarious. And I think if you can go in and we say, Hey, I don't want, I don't want that on my podcast. I think megaphone can, and can change that, but uh, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't care if the podcast was sponsored by the fleshlight. I think that shit's hilarious. Um, but, I've had a couple people message me about that, and I thought that was quite funny. The funniest thing for me is the last flight companion we did, when I went to go back and listen to that one, it was sponsored by Bud Hard Sparkling whatever that shit is, basically the Bud Budweiser version of White Claw. I don't Hard Seltzer. Like, yeah, Bud Light Hard Seltzer, I think that's what they're called. What's hilarious about that is during that flight companion, that entire like nearly five-hour flight companion was basically us dogging on hard seltzers. <laughs> and then they're a sponsor of the show. 
Ah, uh, you just can't script that shit. That's just too damn funny. So there it is. All right, everybody, make sure you are following me on all available platforms. If you would, I'd appreciate it. Like I said earlier, I'm doing more and more on Snapchat. Uh, it's just easier to log my everyday activities kind of like that. Um, all right, I shouldn't say log them, but there's just some fun things to do there. I enjoy seeing other people's snaps. Um, yeah, so that was pretty fun. So with that... I will bid you guys all adieu. Be safe. Good luck out there. Let me know how you do. Go on the Full Scale Outdoors group page and uh, share some uh, successful fishing and hunting photos or just tag me in yours or Instagram or whatever. I like seeing that stuff. It's fun. Get interactive. Send me uh, questions. Like, what do you want me to rant about? What do you know? What is there a particular subject you'd like me to cover and give you my opinion? That'd be awesome. You can get a hold of me. Facebook Messenger, Instagram, Snapchat, all those things, just like I said. So, all right, guys, I'm going to sign off. Pursue your passions full scale. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.